Welcome to the Changing Construction Podcast, brought to you by Mail Manager, the email management solution developed by Arup to solve your email headache overnight. I'm Henry Yort, Head of APAC for Mail Manager, and today we're going to be discussing digital life after COVID, what's more important now than at the start of the pandemic, and where the challenges lie in digital adoption. Just before we, we start, want to welcome the speakers, of course. So uh, I guess moving through, we've got Gavin Crump, who, you know, I, well, I'll actually pass it to you, Gavin, a bit about yourself uh, and, and, yeah, and what you do. And, uh, yeah, and the programs. Um, I guess I do all things BIM. I've split, split my life into a few pieces. So um, I launched a consulting business at the start of last year, um, was sort of planning to do it before COVID hit. And then surprise, surprise, here it came. So it was a good time, if anything. Um, so I've been doing that for about a year and almost a year and a half now. And I also run a, a YouTube channel, Aussie Bim Guru, which is growing pretty quickly. I think it's 18,000 subs at the moment. So steadily, steadily growing. Um, and, and I also uh, I work at various um, various businesses on subconsulted basis at the moment. But my history was working as a Bim manager in companies of varying scales. So I sort of bring a lot of that expertise to what I do. And I've also been lecturing uh, in Bim at University of Sydney quite recently. I um, just did my first semester and finished it about a week ago, almost finished marking. Um, so yeah, I sort of divided my life into lots of little pieces, but I guess all, all things BIM, you know, get me really excited. I'm quite socially active and, um, you know, enjoy participating in things like this as well. So thanks for having me on board. Great. Thanks, Gavin. Uh, James? Hey, how are you? So I, um, again, started out as a sort of BIM manager for the last sort of 10 years or so. Started out as a technician, just really found a passion for the tools and, and helping people. So I've now been working with uh, Grey Puxan for almost two years, leading their design technology um, and even digital technologies across the business. Uh, things like Mail Manager, Revit, Dynamo, implementing all of that sort of technology into our projects. Working with everyone from architects and, and designers to interior designers and helping them become a bit more efficient on the tools and uh, looking at how that affects all of our projects. Great. Thank you. And uh, Tilney. Yeah, uh, thanks for, for letting me join here. And uh, look, head, head of digital engineering, um, I'd say, dare I say, I, I nearly fell into this role. Um, don't really have a BIM background, which probably brings a different perspective to things. I have 10 years of computer graphics and visual effects background, uh, also from New Zealand, uh, did a stint over at Weta, most other large studios here in Australia. Um, so I, I believe that I've seen the future of what um, the BIM and AC industry could become. Uh, in, in how it works. And I'm seeing some really interesting changes and tendencies actually in the last one and a half years that point towards a, a really positive direction of uh, digital capabilities and competencies um, and mindsets in the industry. And here at Lendlease, I head up digital engineering, but it also includes helping the business take up technology, uh, helping people understand how technology can uh, create more value and allow them to capture value rather than just giving it away to the software companies, if I can put it that way. Okay, great. Thanks for that. So just quickly, um, yeah, for anyone that doesn't or haven't met, um, I'm Henry Yort. I head up uh, Apex Efforts uh, with Mail Manager. Um, if you're not familiar with Mail Manager, we are an email management tool developed by Arup uh, and now our own entity. So keeping things uh, moving. And again, thanks to everyone for taking the time. So the agenda, and there is a little bit to get through, and um, we've got you know some, some great some knowledge here and, and some I'm sure some, some good opinions. Yeah, so what are, looking at the embracing of new technologies and the and general digital transformation, I think it's worth pointing on the fact that, you know, it said post-COVID, we, we're not really post-COVID, are we? Um, we're sort of in the midst, and that's just highlighted with what Victoria is going through. So, yeah, um, sympathy goes to the, 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 the group down there. But, yeah, there's a few different talking points here. Yeah, there's some there's some good variation, I think, in what we're hoping to cover. And um, with the three speakers we've got, I'm sure there'll be um, some some differing uh, opinions. And we're also keen for you to use the uh, Zoom chat facility and ask questions along the way. And I'll do my best to, I guess, manage those as they come in and, and direct those to the the panelists. So I guess setting the scene, some key points here. So. Um, AEC firms around the world have been responding to, to new work, workforce and workplace norms and are working towards um, bridging the ongoing skills gap in the era of digital transformation in the industry. I guess that 
first point or points, um, I think keeping some order initially until it might break into a, a, an all-out discussion. Um, we'll, we'll start with Gavin. Uh, sure. So uh, I guess this is mostly about transformation and how the industry has responded to being forced to shift how they how they work, essentially. Probably, probably one of the biggest changes that I've seen in regards to transforming how we work is that we're relying a lot more on cloud technology and collaborative platforms that force us to not only collaborate externally, but also internally. I think that was probably one of the biggest responses I saw, at least initially, when people work from home. Um, most people found out pretty quickly that VPNs don't always work that well. Sometimes we do need more um, effective platforms that are more established. Having said that, you know, VPNs are good from a security perspective in a lot of cases. So I did see that used for some part, but, you know, we saw a big move to, say, platforms like BIM360, AKNX, ASITE, platforms that are more involved with establishing something closer to a common data environment. And as a result, I also saw clients get more involved in those platforms as well because there were less in-person meetings. Um, you know, VCs are a little bit harder to to see what's going on in the project all the time. And I found that VCs, clients didn't necessarily enjoy them as much as being more immersed in the, in the project from what I, what I saw and what I heard about. I guess probably it might be good to, to bounce to, to James on this one too because he's probably had a lot of hands-on um, experience yes. as a BIM manager versus a consultant, yeah. I think you sort of just touched on it before. I think the um, what what I've seen definitely is um, talking even talking about VPNs and and different platforms is I think it's actually brought people's thinking so far forward about where is my information stored and how do I access it. And I think when we're talking about information storage or data storage, multiple platforms, whether it's it's on-prem servers like OneDrive Cloud, all these different areas, it's actually put a, a lot more not pressure, but I think it's definitely brought the IT team into the conversation more than ever before. Um, and I think I think what I've actually seen is business partners and, and leaders actually probably paying a little bit more attention to the yearly budgets. I, I know a, a lot of a lot of our guys have been signing off on their budgets at the moment, actually looking at where we're spending the money and and how we're spending it, and are we actually getting the best value for money in terms of like continually pushing money into platforms that we might not be using the entire platform or we're using several platforms. So streamlining what we're using and how we're using it has been of a huge focus for us. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, and also consolidating some functions into multiple from multiple places into one. I saw a lot of companies got more dedicated towards building up things like their SharePoints and you yeah. know storing more things on platforms like Teams, even if they're not necessarily always you know the best places to store them from every aspect. Just noticing a more more focused um, company effort to bring some of those company functions together, I guess, into one. So you know HR, marketing, some of those got more a bit more closely connected. Yeah. Yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't just been um, project-based for us. We've definitely been looking at, at platforms from a project point of view, but from a business intelligence or, or a business structure, we've been investing just as much time and effort there to say, hey, are we actually, is our digital footprint as sort of clean and as structured as, as it could be? Um, and if mm -hmm. it's not, where can we actually start to get some clarity uh, and a bit more structure or framework around how our business is operating? Because I, I think as all of us to some extent uh, would have experienced sort of this time last year when when it, we went first lockdown, everything sort of really just had to jump the bridge in in terms of platforms and, and digitization. That I think now, twelve months on, we've sort of everyone was pushed into that scenario of going onto Teams and Zoom and all those sorts of things and and AConnect or BIM three sixty. But I think now we've actually sort of had time to catch our breath and sort of ask ourselves right. What does what does the next one, three, or five years look like? Uh, like how are we investing in this in the future, and how are we actually structuring our business to support? I'll call it flexible working because I just saw some some results today from from media in terms of age brackets and who's returning to work, and it's quite interesting who does doesn't um, and is not really phased about where they're working at the moment. So, AEC industry sort of businesses have to think about the future in terms of you're not you're not always going to have everyone in the office all the time yeah, it's becoming mm. which is interesting because new normal yeah 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 and it's interesting because AEC is very much a uh, collaboration game right it's it's all about working together it's it's really complex getting all the different parties together and quite often there are well inconsistencies and things that have to be worked out that is now the new norm so what i've seen here was really interesting we had prepared 
oh, let's try out the BIM 360, whether we can get the whole design department working offline. Let's take three days. Well, the three days turned into a whole year, right? Um, and it just sort of worked. But what the whole drive for me and what I'm hearing from you as well is, uh, and maybe that's what I alluded to before, is this is now raised that the whole EEC industry is now becoming, that people have to face becoming tech companies. You cannot operate without technology anymore. The symbiotic relationship between ICT and the way you operate and even strategically plan your business has to become an effect um, where you don't just have a, an IT person in the back somewhere that manages a few things. It's no, you need to include them because they make your life possible. Right? And whether it be around emails, about how you communicate, what platforms you use, all of that is now becoming more important in the strategic decisions. And it's not just, I oh, will go and choose a piece of software or we're going to choose, which quite often has been seen as the solution to something. It's what are we actually doing with this? How does this actually fit in how we work? How can we better use this now that we work? So one of the core transitions I've seen is that project teams here were forced to go from the very linear process of how we do AEC in design and also throughout the construction process to, well, if we're now using platforms like BIM 360 or Revistu or other collaboration platforms, we can work non-linear. What does that mean for our processes? What does that mean to us signing off certain things? So that is is really interesting in, in helping the business and helping people navigate some of those challenges of we have to work differently and now contemplating on a step back on how can we work differently and what skills and capabilities do we really need in order to thrive in the future. And I think there'll be a shift in the industry of where value is created and captured um, from what was happening before COVID. There's definitely a shift away from the concept of data dumps, I guess, is sort of maybe what you're alluding to there, that we're seeing more constant feedback from, from you know, the model and the, and the drawing environments where we're seeing more regular updates and almost live updates sometimes um, depending on and data work. hygiene and it's one one yeah. of the key yeah. things we have identified is is data hygiene um around everybody talks about you know you've got your rules and you've got your specifications and all those things we, we're having 100 projects running at the same time and a relatively small digital engineering team we need to make sure the right data comes through um the industry hasn't really even looked at that there is no real rules. There is no real specification. So how do we ensure that the computers that we're asking to do the work or work efficiently actually have consistent information because computers need zeros and ones. Humans can work with ambiguous information, right? Thanks, guys. That's a um, really good start. So um, I can see uh, Gavin having to hold back there uh, on a couple of things, which is encouraging. <laughs> um, so the uh, it's uh, moving to, I guess, another slide of a few more points. Um, I think will be uh, interesting to discuss between uh, the the three. I might even chip in if I um, feel like I've got anything valuable to add. Uh, so look, embracing new technologies, we're, we're, we're talking a lot about that. Um, you know. I guess looking at the pandemic or touching on that, you know, being a bit of a catalyst for change, which I've certainly experienced in um, in, in, in my um, work, um, and you know, I guess how important then does you know is it for the AEC industry to embrace new technology? And I think we've already heard that um, quite quite loudly and, and clearly that um, you know it's extremely important. So maybe you know, I guess opening the floor again back up to uh to you gavin and yeah. uh yeah if we if we can keep some order if we don't then that i encourage that as well because it, it may well, well go there well, gentlemen we'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> i guess um i mean I, I thought of starting just with a pretty like it's a pretty brutal point but it's a pretty true one in that like as a consultant i get to say pretty much you know the best and the worst of the industry um because everyone approaches me with different problems and coming from different degrees of digital adoption um obviously you know bigger companies they'll see you know more mature clients more mature consultants i see a pretty big spread um, so it's been interesting to see that the quality um, between, you know, the people working the best and most collaborative ways to the ones that are maybe a bit behind is really starting to become quite obvious now that, you know, that the expectations are raising from an industry, but also from a client perspective. So I have actually, you know, worked with some clients and, you know, rejected some clients that come to me with jobs that I can tell that they're, they're behind the eight ball big time now um, because they weren't ready for something like this um, or they weren't working in a way that 
fostered collaboration on either not only cloud platforms, but just thinking remotely and working more collaborative, collaboratively throughout the project rather than just coming together for, you know, design reviews or something like that. So it's become quite obvious to me that, you know, we are seeing some people really shoot ahead of the pack and others are either staying where they are, which is naturally going to put them behind or people just know they're behind and they've just, you know, settled do you, do for doing warehouses or shopping centers or, you know, the, the types of projects you work on change as well in those situations. Mm. Do you think sort of, I've been thinking about this the last few weeks actually, um, do you reckon we might see sort of a case of the digital haves and the digital have-nots? Um, mm. Like I, I'm sort of seeing, and, and speaking to a few people in the industry, like they'll, they'll sort of say, well, our, our consultants aren't using this type of technology, whether it's a, a, a BIM platform or, or some sort of software or, or, or CDE. So if they're not using it, they, they don't want to spend the money on it. Well, we, we can't really push it. Whereas other companies, sort of at the, maybe the, the larger scale, are just like, well, we see the value, we'll invest in it. And I just wonder if we'll see maybe a, a diverging of um, maybe companies based on who's willing to back technology and who's not so willing. Yeah, for sure. I think they will just wither and die. You go. Yeah, you go. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, they, I, they're I, either going to die or die a slow death, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, the project quality is going to keep going down. The clients they get are going to be less flexible and less, you know, innovative. And that's going to make their projects less innovative as well because the budget's going to become tighter. You know, the turnarounds are going to get less reasonable. The people are going to get less happy. They're going to leave the companies. It's a, it's a bit of a volatile situation potentially if you don't get your house in order and, and you know, win the, the right type of work by having the right type of systems in place. But again, there I see a, that's, I'm seeing a sort of a shift from, get BIM is generally seen as, oh, do we really have to? Right. It, it's sort of it, it's an add on. It's seen as an additional cost because people haven't really looked at it from a holistic perspective of that's the foundation. If you get that right, then you can start using computer systems effectively to do calculations, better collaboration and so forth. Things can get streamlined. So I think BIM, BIM has actually had falsely a, a, a bad name. If we get those foundations, data foundations right then you can start collaborating a lot more using computer systems and, com and, and ways to create a lot of value. Yeah, I agree. There's I mean, people that don't want to do that. that. The, it comes down to the value add that you propose to the client, I guess, ultimately, if you if you only really can sell it to the people that you work next to and not to the people that are you know, paying the fees on the jobs, that that's a, makes all the difference too. I've noticed some companies are really good at you know, making the value add obvious to the clients and others are just saying, oh, we do BIM because everyone does BIM. And, you know, bim, 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 and they go, yeah. what, what, what does bim mean? Like, go back a step, guys. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's a big part of it, yeah. It's your blueprint in the digital world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at some point, um, if you think it's been around for, for loosely 20, 30 years, um, it's, at some point, I would think it's got to become business as usual, as you said, Tinley, to, to then build on that and say, right, here is our business as usual deliverable, but then once we've got that data, we can work with a client or, or we can work with your EIRs to then tell you or, or to then work with you and say, hey, this is what we can additionally add on or however you want to use this data for your assets. But I think at some point, the industry has to just say, look, we accept that this is the new norm. And I think it sort of brings up one of the points, uh, I think maybe Gavin sort of brought up about around how are like newcomers disrupting the sector. And I'd be pretty interested to hear sort of how your uni tutoring's been going because some of the guys we're interviewing are coming out and they're just like, I sort of feel a bit scared for, for some of the guys that have been in the industry a, a longer time because it's like, yeah. these guys are going to mop the floor with you when it comes to understanding data structures and, and computer <laughs> software. And they're, they're actually really well-placed to, to come into an industry yeah. that is probably being- A lot of them don't realise how well-placed they could be. Like they have so many know. innate skills now that we, we just would yeah. never even bother trying to pick up at this point. Like, um, Absolutely. You, you know, right writing in WebJS and, you know, some things that let them build applications. But it's about, I think the thing that sets people like us apart and people that are even older or less less digitally attuned than myself, um, that we do have that sort of context of how to apply the skills. And I think that's one thing that takes them longer to, to figure out because they're so focused on the tools and the, you know, the languages, the programming, and then, you know, the human aspect is still like a huge part of 
making that successful. So I, I think that's still like a really big part for people that don't necessarily have those skills, but have maybe taken the time to understand how those people work and, and you know, made that a bigger part of how we work. I mean, as digital slash BIM managers, we know a lot of our time's not actually with our hand on the mouse. It's, you know, getting the right people's hands on the right mice and yeah, making sure yeah. that at the right time, the projects are being run in the right ways. And I, I still see that as a big part of running the industry, like every yeah. tech company like Microsoft, Google, they, they have coders, but then they also have people that just run sectors and run teams well, yeah, and, and make yeah. sure that I, I everything's was, working. Yeah. I was just reading yeah, don't today around, around middle managers and middle managers mm. basically connect the dots between those guys on the on the tools and actually yeah. getting them up to the, to the operations of a business and actually mm. getting that, that um, sort of almost... Um, knowledge to move right throughout the business in understanding right how we're going to actually change and evolve and and Mm. getting the guys on the right software at the right time Mm. it's a huge part of it yeah Yeah, and i think what what i so what i see there as well is that we probably need to get to a stage where the bin manager or the digital engineer isn't seen as the interface to a computer um where quite often people come in who are don't want to embrace it or just don't have the time to embrace uh, working in these new tools to just go, oh, can you quickly do this and this for me, which is actually disabling, right? So um, that's that's one part. The other part I see is I think there's a huge opportunity for, for um, the business or the AC industry, probably especially the architecture industry, to review how can they continue to add value? So traditionally they've been squeezed, right? Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze out of the out of the market and do less or get less and less of the overall pie. But nobody wants to do BIM. So why don't well, they want to be all the way across and actually be the custodians of the data of the intent through the design all the way through and actually ensuring that the right kind of design is ultimately delivered or at least the design information is properly managed to be able to provide the new digital virtual deliverable that is now real on the other end just as much. Um, there are, for me, there's an opportunity in the market that could readily be embraced by the architectural um, kind of um, fraternity. Is that what you call it? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do we call ourselves? Not sure these days, the herd. <laughs> but um, but I, I agree. I think, I think for architects is they need to capture their design in more sophisticated ways using technology as well. So maybe they specialize in modular construction and they've had experience with builders and they work that back into their design ethos, their, 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 their briefing process. It can go back so far. And that, that's how you start forming those unique positions rather than just, you know, we do BIM like the person next door and the person next door to them. It's, it's more about, yeah. you know, why do you do it? How do you do it? What, what's, what's your point of difference? Goal? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I agree. Yeah. Mm. I guess remote working and and rebuilding after the pandemic. Um, a few other points here. Um, I really like the point James you mentioned, uh, which I think is just common in construction. Um, linking the man who uh, is putting in the bolts and the steel that's in the concrete um, to the guys who are designing it and all the stuff that goes in between. I think that's a um, it's still a quite a big disconnect. Um, my, my brother's a, an engineer and uh, yeah, he always talks about the guys who came out top of the class at university and not always the guys that can walk to site and talk with a, a guy who's poured concrete for 25 years yeah. and um, <laughs> can tell you how it's actually going to go when a bit of rain comes and uh, that sort of thing. So it's that bridging the gap of um, that, that practicality, I think um, is still such a, a key part. So no, enjoyed enjoyed that. Um, so this is more, I guess, around the remote working aspect. You know, w- will work from home, um, or the, the yeah, I guess the adage continue. I know it's brought a lot of companies, not just in the AEC sector, but more broadly out of the wilderness in terms of technology. You've heard a lot of stories around teams um, being rolled out in days when there was a six month rollout plan and and. Um, I was, um, I guess, one of those companies that experienced that, and it, it, it sort of worked quite well. You know, as a jumping uh, in the deep end, so to speak. But if I look at myself personally and speak to colleagues, and um, it's not for everyone, at least um, not entirely. I think that interaction with people um, has really, uh, I think, come to the fore uh, with the pandemic. So um, you know, I guess touching on that, and then. Bit more on the technical side, um, further down the page, 
you know, avoiding fragmentation, the speckle versus the excel. I'm interested to hear uh, that one. Yeah, I've already kicked this one off with a good quote I saw the other day, which says, "If your boss, the, the closer your boss lives to work, the more likely you'll be allowed to work. The less likely you'll be allowed to work from home." <laughs> you know, culture is often sort of dictated by the people that make the big decisions in the company. But I've noticed a lot of resistance at you know the, the lower to mid level saying, "Actually, you know, we want this." And I think some companies are taking it on really well. Some companies are just saying, "You know, we're going to go with what feels right." And see if it works and other companies are sort of forcing the, the stick a little bit now saying all right let's go back but i guess it helps that it's not a good thing but it helps that there still is that uncertainty you know are we going to go into lockdown again are we going to have restrictions placed back upon us which keeps everyone in that sort of limbo limbo state um i myself have you know love the opportunity to work from home because i, I consult anyway so when i do sub consulting where usually i might be on premises with a client i can be a lot more effective with my time so i don't have to commute to places just to be in a room um so it's it's made perfect sense to me um i'll talk about the source of truth maybe after i think probably this is a better point to just sort of circulate first amongst the amongst the group and yep. then we'll talk about source of truth after um yep. yeah that no, sounds good because I think from being sort of business-based, um, like not, not a consultant, I think we've, look, we're definitely, I mean, we're, we are Melbourne, Canberra, Brisbane, Sydney. Um, three of those studios, bar Melbourne, are obviously pushing. I mean, Brisbane's almost back five days a week. Sydney is sort of four days a week. So we're sort of, we've sort of taken a, an early adopter. That was sort of late last year um, where we were sort of early adopting getting people back in the office because that we noticed the craving for, for human-to-human interaction. Um, look, Teams and, and all your online platforms, they did the job and, and they, they continue to do the job, but people were just craving that face-to-face communication. And I think, Tinley, you touched on it before, like we, we are such a collaborative industry um, across all sectors that we need to get around a meeting and sometimes we need to get around a table and, and, and discuss what's going on on a project or what are we agreeing to or what, what the design is, what's happening with the design. So I, I think, look, work from home, that's, probably, that's just going to be interchanged with flexible working in the future. I think it will always continue. And I think companies are probably struggling at the moment with their policies around that um, and developing that because you'll find that, I don't know, maybe your older workers with kids or, or whoever might want to be a bit more flexible, the younger guys who are wanting to build a personal brand and actually build their reputation in a company might want to be back in the office more than being at home. So it's got to reflect um, the different, the intergenerational mix in a business. Um, but I think that will continue for, for quite some time. And I think that choice, choice always brings, uh, well, complexities into things, right? So the the working from home, obviously everybody was from home, um, land lease being a safety first culture, uh, it's all around safety. So as soon as there's something, we, we essentially make sure that it's all safe. Um, we're finding it's very much horses for courses. So there's people definitely craving wanting to come back. That's quite often the younger generation who were living on their own for a whole year and couldn't really interact with someone. Um, the water cooler conversations just simply don't happen if you're um, working from home. However, we're kind of seeing people are going towards three days in the office, two days at home, where they're blocking that time at home and going, I'm working eight hours, I'm super productive, I'm, I'm not taking the two hours of commute into it and getting that done, um, and then making sure that they have time, sometimes set time, sometimes they move it around, in the office to interact. I remember the first day I came back after what eight months of working from home and had three conversations just in a corridor that all led to new opportunities internally. I mean, as digital engineering, we we have to internally influence and they, they all just happened there. So I think the challenge for businesses overall will be is how do we really work in this hybrid space? How do we allow people with different functions and different uh, ways of working to use the best opportunities that they need at that time. So I think that hybrid will stay um, and that will be a real challenge around being a real estate company. What does that mean for office spaces? What does that mean for commercial going forward? Um, you know, right now I think companies are making people want to come back, everyone, because that's what they've invested in for the next two to three years on their lease contracts. Well, what happens when they come for renewal? That's that's certainly a question that, um, you know, companies like Lendlease or other real estate companies are looking at what does this do to our our life and how we work and how we are productive and creative. 
It's been Thursday. interesting to watch companies sort of claw back some of those rituals that the, the remote working took away, like the Friday drinks are, you know, just re-emerging in offices and some yeah. of those things that we haven't had for a while. So I do miss those, you know, when, I, when, I, when I've worked in offices, I can Definitely. imagine those those social happenstance moments are still really important for team building and culture building. Like you said, just running into people in the corridor and creating opportunities, like it's, it's harder to do that in Teams or Zoom and we all get a bit teamsed out sometimes, I'm sure, too, yeah. staring at webcams. <laughs> And we still have to be really mindful that just like Melbourne just had a lockdown, we might have to literally at the drop of a hat go back into a lockdown and continue working for two or three weeks or you know, for several months. Um, I, I don't think COVID is something that's going away at the moment. It's, it's something we need to deal with. And technology is really, really good at doing that. It just hasn't got that interactive people kind of component to it. It's all very planned. I think also the, the flip side of that coin when we're talking about associated challenges in technology, as, as a design technology manager, I'm sort of managing upwards of, of 30 softwares. If we're looking at sort of RTV tools and Enscape and Revit, like Revit just released a, a, a software patch for three of its versions about three weeks ago. And we are struggling with how we push that out to 130 computers 70 of which right now are in lockdown and they're over VPN in Melbourne. So how do we, how do we actually make sure that the software is up to date? And if we're collaboratively working while some of us are in lockdown, if we've got staff working on a project and they're working from Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Sydney and Brisbane computers or hardware are easy to get to and update, but the ones VPN, like if we've got to roll out a new version of Revit that's sort of seven, eight gig, how are we going to do that over over uh, sort of VPN connections um, when we're in lockdown? So where we are, and I'm I'm really interested to see if you guys have had any experience with this, but we we're struggling with how we manage that because there's a lot of softwares that are. I mean, even at the moment, you'll see Windows updates popping up in your system tray almost daily um, to deal with cyber cyber attacks and all this sort of stuff. It's a, it's a nightmare. I can see why they're doing it, but it's really hard to manage. Yeah, I was talking to someone at a firm the other day and I won't say who they are just in case this is like their company secret, but I know that for a fact that they're, they're literally remoting into every computer physically still in the office and their IT manager comes in and physically just works on some of the machines because it's just so much easier or they run PowerShell or something like that to, to know the machines are always on and always accessible and they might run it at two in the morning, um, just run a quick check to make sure there's been no action on the computers for the last hour. Um, so some people are using, you know, a, a sort of so dumb it's smart <laughs> solution sometimes to manage some of those <laughs> deployment challenges because, you know, if you have to work entirely through web platforms or some of those things that, you know, it's a quite a sophisticated setup to make that, you know, autonomous or easily manageable or trackable. So I have heard of some some interesting hybrid approaches people take. Yeah, well. Yeah, so and I think that sort of raises the point there, the effect of hybrid working security remote access, you know, that's that's a huge component we have a lot of clients that are increasing their security requirements um, and I dare say the digital security requirements are way higher than the yet yeah, got plans in the front of my ute uh, kind of requirements um, in the analog world but uh, that's I'd be interested to hear how you guys deal with that so we've we, we're certainly while we have a big uh, our big company and we, we're dealing with that uh, relatively well there's still challenges and it is at the forefront of our mind so safety and security certainly being parts of what we look at and how we deal with that. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain degree of trust you have to place in your employees for how they behave in these scenarios, right? You've still got things like flash drives that are very hard. You know, you can set up policies and things like that to liably cover yourself, at least vicariously, but you still put a lot of trust in how people behave and, and training people, giving them exposure awareness training, just, you know, don't open bad emails because there's so many of those bouncing around now. Um, we sort of rely on the company's integrity as well as the people's integrity for how they work. Mm. Just to bring it back to a point earlier, this is sort of just out of interest for, for me, really, might not relate as much to you, Gavin, as uh, the others, but um, we talked about the, I think there's a real drain on doing back-to-back um, -back video conferencing meetings. Uh, I do a lot of it, and I'm just as exhausted or more, I'm, you know, might not move for six hours and you're just completely drained as opposed to six face-to-face -face meetings in the past you can sort of tune out and sort of I, I, I almost think it's tougher but at the same time I haven't driven half an hour 45 minutes or got the train or whatever it might be so question and where I'm taking this is 
you know, has this created greater efficiency, even though we've got the struggles of pandemic uh, rollout of technology, um, having to make sure people have the right, you know, facilities and peripherals available to them at home. But once that is in place, and the fact I can actually have a meeting finish, I think Tilney came straight out of a meeting to join this. He couldn't have done that maybe a couple of years ago, this wouldn't have been something you'd even consider. So um, for the bigger companies like Nenlease and Grey Puxand, you know, do you think you're seeing gains in efficiency because of that? Look, I, I think in in the beginning, we definitely saw a huge, I think, I think everyone was really concerned with, with efficiency falling off a cliff when we, when we all had to go work from home. But I, I, I'm probably, I would, probably confident speaking for a lot of people, it probably went the other way. Efficiency probably went through the roof right, in a lot of instances. Yep. A year on now, I think we're probably back to a baseline. I, I think, look, people, as you said, like going from back-to-back meetings is a drain. Like, I, like I've got to give myself 20 minutes to, to sit there and look at my inbox after this and actually filter out what I need to look at. But I think also people have probably hit their comfort zone again. And, and I know yep. this is all always been a, a talking point around work from home like are people putting on their loads of washing or like watching their daytime tv over lunch like it's I, I don't know every single human being is different and they'll find what works for them like someone might have to drop the kids off of the morning at school but, but that means they might work or throw in another two hours of work after after dinner time so efficiency is still there and efficiency is still being realized but it probably hasn't been realized in the traditional nine to five zone um, it's been realised probably in like a 12-hour window, 6 to 6 or, or 6 to 10 p.m. or something um, because I think the flexibility has just made it, and I think we touched on it before, because of this flexibility of working from home, people aren't, we, we sort of say, look, can you try and be online in this window? Uh, I mean, especially for myself, I love being online super early in the morning, but there's no one to answer their, answer their phone if I call at 6 a.m., for a help desk yeah. ticket, so oh, you got to you got to work in that zone where everyone is around you. And it's like colleagues yeah. that are morning morning people, and some yeah. aren't. So I, I'm oh, a morning person, and others don't really kick into gear till ten, and they're remote, and they yes. like working a bit later. So yeah, you're dead right yeah. about people being very different. Yeah, yeah we have sort of fle- flexible. So we have flexible times as well. So quite often people have on the, you know, it's like, look, I work flexibly. Um, don't expect an email response straight away. Um, those kind of, if you need a response straight away, this is how you contact me. Um, I, what we've found is that the productivity actually went up massively in, in the beginning. And I wouldn't say that it's actually ebbed, ebbed off. I think people are still looking at, I have my home days to be productive and you're not there to be presenteeism around, you know, um, eight hours straight in front. It's if you want to do three hours here and then two hours there, if you have to go and pick up the kids, then go and do other things. That's, that's perfectly um, kind of accepted. There is a, a expectation that, look, if we're having a group meeting, you know, arrange yourself accordingly, try and be there. It's, it's just like everything else. Um, and the higher you go in management, the more, time poor you get, the more people want uh, your, your time resource. So you kind of have to uh, you know, choose what you attend. But overall, I think it's it's actually make people more aware about it, about when they're productive. Um, so I'm trying yeah. more and more a work in the morning and make sure I've got meetings in the afternoon because I can really concentrate and work well in the mornings and those few hour blocks. And then the afternoons, I can have some of those you know um, interactive meetings or try and schedule 50-minute meetings instead of one-hour meetings, so I'm not totally back-to-back. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for that, guys. Keeping things moving, I'm just conscious of the time. I wanted to make sure we cover off um, a bit more of the technical stuff left on this. Um, This is the sort of last few points. So, um, Gavin, um, you were keen to just sort of segment the the two pieces of... So, yeah, far away. Do do you mean like the restructuring and the source of truth or those together? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess um, restructuring is a tricky one because I do know a lot of companies that did actually let go of a lot of their middle managers or say, oh, we don't need you right now, but come back in six months and we probably will. So they had awkward sort of almost fires or half fires um, or <laughs> redundancies or furloughs, whatever you want to call them, that they're, they're essentially being fired. Um, so I had a lot of friends that, you know, had to go on into consulting um, and, I, and, you know, a lot of them came to me, asked for advice and a lot of them realized they didn't want to go back as well. So it was hard to entice them back into that 
working model once they saw that maybe their company didn't necessarily respect holding on to people in those roles that you know look look dispensable on the surface but once the projects come back are actually you know pretty pretty much the glue of holding together the operations of, of projects in a lot of cases so i think um there's a lot for companies to think about that did that. Having said that, a lot of companies actually held on to people pretty well as well, where maybe, you know, they probably could have said, we don't need this many right now. Um, held on to a lot of managers that, you know, they knew they'd need once everything was back to normal. So I did see sort of the, the flip side as well. Um, and, you know, they, they're probably better off now for it. They're able to take on bigger, bigger projects. They're not as worried about not being resourced if, you know, three projects come through at the same time when maybe they weren't expecting one. Um, so I think there's, yeah, there's the two sides of the coin, but, um, a lot of people I know are just going in on, you know, higher salary expectations now <laughs> that they're building in their own redundancy package, um, to their salary. That's what I encourage a lot of digital professionals to do, you know, find out what you're worth and chuck another 20 K on it. You know, why not <laughs> see what you're worth? And unfortunately a good time for it. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, we're, we're on the, on the other side of the, of the fence. Um, we can't find enough BIM people, right? So seeing what the market is asking for, the government is asking for more BIM. BIM is basically becoming a must. Uh, we maybe have 20% capacity right now. Like it's, it definitely is a, 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 a common problem. A, a, a BIM manager market. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, there's rare hen's teeth. So, you know, we've we certainly kept um, a hold of, of our team as much as we could. And uh, right now, we're seeing demand going through the roof. Uh, we've been looking for digital engineering managers for six months and, and haven't been able to find people. Um, it's been so yeah. hard for me not to throw myself back at the role as a consultant, <laughs> yeah, especially when I first started up and I was just getting into it. And I was like, oh, I could go back and be a bit manager before I realized that I could make this work. And, you know, I saw, I saw the roles. I still see them and I get so many offers coming through, but I just depends on, on what you want to do with it but um yeah it's a funny it's a funny time so it's almost like in the uk where you know bim became so commonplace that it almost devalued the role but we're seeing sort of the inverse where you know it's not necessarily expected so it is that above and beyond still in a lot of clients eyes so there's a lot of value in it yeah but we also don't have the influx from overseas so we can't get people from overseas that previously um you know helped out on that front uh, i think there's a huge opportunity for not just universities it might take too long but even tafe or other um you know uh, educational institutions or even businesses to go we're going to build bin managers um i think the, f the first sort of steps of being an okay bin manager won't take too long but to become a good digital engineer, that's three to five years of experience of day-to-day -day kind of work before I think somebody is truly okay to go and go out on their own and manage a project. It's it's a highly technical, self-taught uh, profession. That was a big part of my um, elective. I taught my students. I could have like made it just, you know, let's learn Revit and let's learn Grasshopper and cool, cool. But mm. I actually put a lot of, um, you know, data management standards, ISO, ISO requirements, things that like I wanted to use to accelerate them over the top of potentially like a BIM coordinator role or something like that, or just avoid them diving straight into a technician role. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's a great strategy and it makes perfect sense. It does need the right people to be back at uni teaching, I think. I've you know, seen a lot of different varying qualities of BIM courses and degrees offered by institutions and sometimes they do devolve into a an over-glorified drafting or modeling course and other times that that all process and no no reality so it's finding that, that balance between what what pe what the industry needs and what people can actually handle being taught i guess without without much experience but yeah i think that's a great idea all for it sources of the truth who wants to uh kick this one off start again i guess there is but, no um, truth yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I guess um, source of truth has always been a challenge for us on projects, hasn't it? Where is the latest and greatest data and who has it? Um, in this case, I guess like one platform I've been looking at recently just for fun was a platform called Speckle, which essentially allows you to shoot your data up into the, the cloud and receive it on any program. And it really brings into question, you know, where do we store the data that matters? Our models don't need to hold all the data sometimes because ultimately a lot of that data doesn't actually influence the modeled elements very much. It's just more where is that information being received. And uh, I've, I've noticed the data in the cloud is definitely where everything's moving. Um, I used a platform a while ago called Dorofus, for example, which is a database where you essentially can push and pull data around and it very much becomes where everyone focuses their attention. You, you see less focus on, say, loose Excel documents and you see less focus on just pushing data out into Excel from the model 24-7 and people start respecting this sort of central point of, of contact on the project for all the information and people know when they're looking for information, where they should go. And I think that that's, I guess, where things are shifting. 
As well as that, I like looking at Source of Truth because I, I'm very much aware of things like the IFC data schema to try and force us to be a bit more consistent in how we describe things. And, and often the authoring programs are really, really bad at actually achieving something like that. So it lends to the point of, well, maybe, maybe we're not going to be dumping all this IFC data into our model. We're just going to be getting some sort of handle on a BIM element and the yeah. data is just going to be pushed in somewhere else and maybe it gets pushed it should back. should be linked. Yeah, that, that's where I think I it'll be part of the future lies for, for Source of Truth. Mm. At least and I think that's where, yeah, there's there's some of that immaturity. Everybody sort of thinks of it as, oh, here's a file and everything's in it. It's like, no, it's it's mm. it's connected. These things are yeah. about certain things. Exactly. And, and how do we, getting away even from Excel, Speckle Excel is Go database, right? If you, mm. Excel is just, well, a file-based database in that sense, right? It's it, yeah. That has some real uh, versioning issues um, because mm. we're managing with files. So can we go towards a database kind of uh, thing? But for that, we need data standards similar to IFC. IFC isn't perfect, but yeah. can we get clean data? And then after that, things become a lot easier. Mm. So we're, what we're trying to do at the moment. You go. Yeah. You go. So what we're doing is working with, with, with consultant panels around what are the minimum data requirements that we need and let's get a standard in place, even just among ourselves, so that when we exchange information, we know what we're getting. We can just work with it. We can set up our systems and reliably take data, do what we need to do with it without having to do the usual remassage the data, reformat it to what we use, and then spit something out that the client will probably have to go and reformat and reuse right? or re remassage in order to use it. And that is hugely inefficient. For me, that's one of the core issues of why BIM hasn't worked in the last 20 years. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the challenges that leads to, which I always come across and get frustrated by, is that it almost means everyone needs to get better at learning how data works at most layers of the company. Well, yeah. That's a huge challenge. Yes, they do. 100% agree. The, the yeah. biggest thing we're touching on here is there is, think about every platform we use day to day, like to, to design a building and deliver it, there is a massive lack of digital or, or data literacy it's actually going back to the basics and saying, hey, guys, like Revit, Navisworks, Excel, IFC, they're all, they're all forms of data. And, and not one of them is a single source of truth, but all of them combined is that source of truth. That, that's the piece of education that's missing. I think that there's two big things that need to happen in our industry. And I think that's the continual education of the client, but the continual education of the guys actually doing the work. Like we will have so many people that will just look at a Revit model and, and want to model to such a degree to get a good Enscape render, but they're not actually thinking about the data that's behind that model and how it's going to be it just what's, what's going to happen to that when you hand it off to someone. There's just, there's no thought about that. And that's, that's the most important part that I, I think that's what's holding our industry back. Yeah, I completely agree. What, what do they demand? Like, is a model a deliverable? And when's that going to happen? When they say, oh, the model actually needs to be pretty accurate and correct. It's well, what does that mean? Yeah. And we're, we're going in from that sort of being an end-to-end -end all the way through from literally from, from development all the way through to asset management. Is what, what does that mean? I think the time of architects creating issued for construction drawings, which were basically handed over somebody else to deal with, that's gone. You now have to create data that is usable for multiple different stakeholders in multiple different formats in multiple different ways. If you haven't constructed your data so that the cost planners can use it effectively, it's just become useless for that. And so they will revert back. And, I think, and that's I think we're seeing part. that story everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the scary part is very few architects are clued up on that point, um, that what they're actually handing over is changing right in front of them. Yeah. Is there any reluctance from certain parts of the supply chain that feel, though, that they could be providing what, what they are producing with their deliverables? Obviously, the time's their commodity, but is actually being shared by people they're not getting fees from you know is there do you think that exists at all just from hearing what you're saying and whether there's that there's still that maybe that attitude possibly i think who's generating the data needs to be clear because that's one problem where you might have um say like a project where you do coordination meetings and they just start using the architecture structure because they're ahead of the game and the structural engineer is two weeks behind with their own design drawings like that that happens 
And that is yep. like a real financial issue when you're like, hey, we're doing someone else's work here and we're using data that we're not liable for. That, that That's a serious thing I see on jobs still, at least on the design phase. And also, you know, we get contractors doing 2D shop drawings when we're giving them 3D models that, you know, could be used far more intelligently or maybe we're not being demanded to do something at the right time. Like at the last minute they go, oh, by the way, we're doing a you know, robot-driven fabrication process. And it's like, well, our model was never set up for this. So it's like connecting those environments together is so much more crucial, like early contractor involvement, some sort of different delivery model. That's probably the only way to really bridge that gap because you're never going to have an architecture team that's full of builders in the design phase. Like it's it's, it's just the nature of how projects evolve. But yeah. there's definitely a need for connecting that environment together. Mm. Yeah, and theoretically, I think that's that's sorry, that's happened. There's a lot of theory around that, and there is some some sort of practical approaches with that integrated design, right? All of those processes, but do that really work? I think there's there really needs to people trying to work together and figure out we're going from linear and sequential processes to now being very very much non-linear. That has an influence on contracts. It has an influence on supply chain of how we need to collaborate. I mean, the the vision of VDC is design your building right up front before you put a spade in the ground, you've basically figured out the 3D model that can become the PDF you send to the printer and the printer's called a construction company that basically just executes it and doesn't do 50% of the design or rejigs it all halfway through, which leads to a lot I mean, of the- uh, You almost issues. need your builders to be in the design process for that to work though, because we can't expect 100%. to know how to build a building. Um, because the only things yep. I've learned about construction, I've learned from doing it wrong and going out on site and going, oh, that's how they do it. Like, it's like, that's how I've learned most of construction <laughs> as an architect. And, and it's the yep. only way graduates can learn either at the moment. So there's definitely a need for change in that process. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. and I think it's it's not about value separation, which quite often happens in contracts, is how do, you, how do we figure out to better share value so that, what you just said, oh, we're looking at the structure right now instead of the architecture kind of drawings. And then there's a, you know, oh, you're not looking at the right things. Like, how do we actually make that work for people? And that is that is a real challenge that goes outside of the, 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 the people who are creating or doing the work to contractually reviewing, to uh, legally reviewing what does this new way of working mean? What does it allow us to do? And how do we better capture and split the value that can be created? I mean, I've always hoped to see a bit more action from bodies like the AIA um, on some of these things as an architect, yeah. seeing a bit more, you know, not, 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 not maybe not legislative, but setting frameworks that, you know, become like a good practice rather than just holding award ceremonies every two weeks. It's like there's a, probably a shift in focus needed for our industry where we're sort of missing the point as well. So hopefully yeah. that's a, I, I guess if anyone's watching that's in there, I'm happy to talk to them about it. But I, I've always had a bit of a bone to pick with that, that side of the industry. Sounds like the Oscars. <laughs> pretty much yeah. it's the Oscars yeah. uh, I guess only actors go and only actors get sorry, get awards it's about right yeah. <laughs> architects, giving architects awards yeah. <laughs> I probably got myself in trouble there <laughs> so we are coming up to the uh, the end of the hour I, I sort of get the feeling that the three could keep going you know it, when you get a good topic it's I'm enjoying it um, I hope everyone else is it's been quite an interesting set of discussion points some technical, some not so much. So I hope it's you know appealed to to everyone in, in some respect. So yeah, I, I just wanted to thank the three gentlemen again for taking the time out. You know, really really enjoyed the discussions, the opinions. Yeah, I, I could certainly listen to more of it. To be honest, the hour's gone very quickly. But yeah, thanks again, guys. Really good, really good stuff. And um, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. So I'll, I'll let you go. We're we're on the hour. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed the session. Thanks, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Henry. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks, James. Bye.